So, week five, Joseph. Hope you've been following. This week, we're continuing to look at Joseph's story. And if you remember the story so far, Joseph, one of 12 sons of Jacob, he was his favorite. Jacob gave him a coat, made his brothers jealous. And then Joseph had a dream. And Joseph told his brothers he was going to rule over them. And they were a bit fed up with him. So that was finally the last straw. And so they threw Joseph into a pit. And we sort of get to that point just at the opening of this chapter. Joseph had been thrown into the pit. Some of them wanted to kill him, his brothers. Some of them weren't so keen on that. So they ended up selling Joseph to these Ishmaelite traders who were on their way to Egypt. And we're going to pick it up there. We're going to look at Joseph in three ways. We're going to look at Joseph, the slave, Joseph, the man, and the prisoner, and see how he reacted, how he behaved, and what that might teach us today. As you can see, the PowerPoint is not working. They're struggling away. They might catch up with me eventually, but I'm going to plow on. So apologies that you've got no... Oh, there we go. Look. You may have some slides to follow. Ken's working at the back really hard, so it wouldn't work from the front. Okay, so... Joseph, as we said, was bought by Potiphar, so... He was a slave. He was living in Potiphar's house. We've heard Potiphar was the captain of the guard, an official of Pharaoh, important. If you consider that Pharaoh was thought to be almost a demigod in the time of the Egyptians, more than a king, then this was quite a status. In verse 3 that Chris just read, Potiphar notices Joseph is successful in what he did. I wonder why he stood out. Why was he different? What caught Potiphar's attention? Well, here we have it. The Lord was with Joseph. Potiphar saw Joseph was different because God's presence was with him. Joseph behaved differently because of his faith. Now, he wouldn't have had a Bible. He wouldn't have had any books to read. Joseph lived at the time before any of this was written down. So how did Joseph know how to behave in ways of his faith? Well, despite his family relationships that we saw weeks ago were a bit bit dodgy, a bit dysfunctional, he learned his faith in his family because his family would have told stories. They would have passed on their history down the generations by telling stories to each other. They didn't have TV. They didn't do play on their iPads. So they told each other stories. We still do this, don't we, I hope. How many of you know something about your past generations that isn't written down? Yeah. So Joseph would have heard stories about his past generations, his family. And of course, to start with, there was Abraham. He knew that God called Abraham. 
He knew that Abraham had travelled around through Canaan, through the hills of Bethel, and eventually Abraham ended up in Egypt because of a famine. He would also have known of God's promise to Abraham, of children, of a land, of a nation. Joseph would have known that God spoke through dreams because he knew that Abraham had a vision. He knew that Isaac and his father Jacob had been spoken to through dreams. Joseph would have been circumcised, a sign of God's covenant with Abraham. And he couldn't forget that one, really, could he? Because he lived with it every day. Joseph would also have known miracle stories, such as the promise of a son to Sarah when she was old, over 80 years old, and he would have known of the miracle birth of Isaac. He would also have been aware of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He would have known about Lot's freedom because Abraham intervened for him. So not only did he know that God could punish the wicked, he knew that God was a compassionate God. So he knew these blessings through his family. His his family history had this promise running through it. I am with you. You will have many descendants. You will have a land of your own. And this must have given Joseph tremendous courage. Abraham had survived the Egyptians, so could he. So Joseph continued to live out his faith. He was seen to worship God. Perhaps he talked about him. It was certainly part of who he was. It was a way of keeping his identity when he'd lost everything else. God was all Joseph had as he began life as a slave. Yet he chose to live out his faith in a way that honoured God. How did he do this? Well, he chose to do a good job as a servant, as a slave servant. He worked honestly. He gained the trust of those around him, was conscientious. He probably got on well with others in the household. We certainly don't hear that he was known for quarrelling or fighting. And Joseph was seen to prosper. Perhaps not in wealth at the start with, but perhaps just in good relationships with other people. He was probably helpful to others, agreeable, respectful to his master, kept the peace between other servants. So Potiphar put him in charge. If Joseph's God was with him and he was doing well, then I might do well, thought Potiphar. In other words, I'll have some of that. And if we just understand a little bit, in the Egyptian context here, there were many gods. If you wanted something, you went to the right god to get it. So Potiphar thought he'd go to Joseph's god. And in verse 5, we see the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. So we could say that in the small things of the everyday... Joseph acted with integrity. That is, with honesty and moral principles. Moral principles, what are they? Well, 
They're about not doing harm. They're about doing good. They're about being fair, respecting and valuing others. Excuse me. (coughs) So Joseph acted with integrity, even as a slave. But it was a real choice that he made. How do we choose to live when we are in situations we don't like? Let's come to Joseph the man. The story of Joseph, of course, is famous for being a story about temptation. In James 1, verse 14, it says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Temptation is the way we are persuaded to choose something we know is unwise. So the first temptation in this story is not actually Potiphar's wife. We'll come to her in a moment. The first temptation would have been for Joseph to let go of his faith in God. As we've said, he's surrounded by people who worshipped many gods. And he just had one. How easy is it to be influenced by the people around us? It takes takes a very strong character to be able to act differently to everyone else. As you get used to being in a place with people, whatever they do regularly becomes a normal thing. If you work in an environment where everyone swears, it's very easy to fall in a pattern of swearing. Most of us don't want to stand out. Most of us want to be part of the crowd. We want to be accepted. There are so many daily temptations. I wonder if we made a list as we went through the day, how many we would actually write down. And I just thought about the supermarket. Imagine the supermarket in terms of temptation. We could, be spent, we could be tempted to spend too much. We could be tempted to buy too much, to overeat. And as we're going along with our trolley, we could just put a few more bottles of wine in the bottom of the trolley. And when our friend comes around the corner, we say, oh, it's for a special party. But actually, it was for tonight to drink all at once because we've had a bad week. There are many adverts in the supermarket openly sexual images, helping to tempt us to buy suggestive clothing, magazines that contain little or no reading other than more tempting adverts. The stories in them are often about people's sex lives. We get hardened, don't we, to images in our sexualized culture that we don't notice it anymore. It becomes the normal. There will, of course, be the soft porn mags on the shelves. But actually, it's better to download those in secret on your PC at home where nobody sees you. Or to look at your friend's phone. You get the picture. Temptation is all around, and it's very hard to avoid it. In an article I was reading, 
There were a few suggestions for a set of modern-day Ten Commandments. These are some of them. You don't need to observe the Sabbath. You can steal from those who won't really miss it. You can lie when it suits you, because it really doesn't very often do any harm anyway. You can cheat on your wife or your girlfriend, because, given the chance, they'll do it to you anyway. You can waste time at work. You can make jobs last longer than they really should do. And do actually nothing one day in five. What a cynical, corrupt culture we have become. We think if we cheat just a little, or are just a little bit dishonest, it doesn't matter. It's a slow but subtle journey for little things growing into big things. A slippery slope. Once you've placed your foot too far down the slope, you can't help but slide to the bottom of it. In some ways, it's not temptation that's the problem, is it? It's what you do about it that matters. So we say sex is a big temptation in our modern culture. And it wasn't much different in the time of Egypt in Joseph's day. These many gods were often linked to fertility. fertility, And it meant that society accepted many different sexual practices. But Joseph was not having any of it. He was not tempted by the society or the culture. He didn't let go of his faith. And when temptation came in the form of Potiphar's wife... He knew how he should act. Now in verse 6 we're told Joseph is very handsome and well built. I think the term nowadays is fit. After a while his master's wife noticed him. I bet she did. So let's just paint a picture of Potiphar's wife, shall we? Well I have to say that I picture her as a wag. W-A-G. Now, if you're not familiar with the term, a wag is a popular term to describe wives and girlfriends of celebrities or high-profile people who have lots of money and the wife and girlfriend delight in spending the money. Shopping, fashion, being seen or photographed in all the right places, doing lunch, nothing else much to do enjoying the attention of being a celebrity's add-on. I think Potiphar's wife is very much like this. And, And we're not told a name for her. She doesn't even have an identity which suggests to us she has no purpose other than being Potiphar's wife. She's at home, bored. The house is run by slaves and servants. She does have some power as the master's wife, what we would call positional power. And she chooses to abuse that power. In verse 7, she gives Joseph an open invitation to go to bed with him. Why? Because she could, just for fun. We see he refused With me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. 
My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. Joseph is so respectful and honest about his master. He shows how he values people, but actually it wasn't his master he was most worried about. Because he follows this by saying, How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He knew, even at this young age, that the value of God's presence in his life was so precious he couldn't afford to let go of it. Sleeping with another man's wife would be sin against God. He knew he could lose everything he had worked for, but most importantly, he could lose God. He put God above earthly consequences. Joseph says no. Then what happens? For Potiphar's wife, the chase is on. Becomes an obsession. Gets out of proportion. Something she can't have when she usually gets her own way. She wants it even more. And the excitement apprehension of that is part of the chase. And in verse 10 we see that she sexually harasses him day after day. He shows strength of character. And he was wise. After, he tried to, after she had propositioned him, he tried to avoid her. He knew he was human. He saw the danger. He chose to remove himself. He kept his distance. We could say that because Joseph had already had that pattern of behaviour of integrity in the small things, he was able to act with integrity when something big happened. How often do we recognise and remove ourselves from temptation. As we've seen, temptation comes in many forms. If it's in the supermarket, don't go there. Or change how you shop. Only take the money you need to buy certain things. Don't take a plastic card. Take someone with you who will help you resist, who will hold you accountable. If there's always the same person in the office or the coffee lounge or the staff room and you're on your own and the conversation is personal, change the time you go there or go somewhere else. If your friends keep sharing stuff on their phone with you and you know you shouldn't be looking at it, tell them. Drop them if they don't stop. Pornography is one of the biggest sexual sins in our culture. And sadly, it starts at a young age. Choose to turn away. It's important to recognise where temptation comes from. And some people will say, God is testing me. Well, the temptation to sin does not come from God. James 1 is very clear. When tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. We have, of course, Jesus' example of how to deal with temptation. When he's in the wilderness, before he begins to preach, the devil comes to him 
and tempts him three times. What does Jesus do? He answers the devil with the word of God each time, and he stands strong. The devil flees. Jesus also gives us the Lord's Prayer. He tells us that this is the prayer we should pray. Because your Father knows what you need before you ask him, he says. And our Father knows we need help to resist temptation. Matthew 6, lead us not into temptation, familiar words, but deliver us from the evil one. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus leaves his disciples to keep watch. And when he comes back, they're asleep. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, be aware. Joseph tried so hard to remove himself. He stayed away. And then one day, as he's going about his duties and no one else is around, Potiphar's wife catches him. Did she set a trap? Did she get rid of the other servants to a safe distance? We won't know. But Joseph still ran away. Again, he shows us a strong mind. He shows his strength of character. And he ran even if it meant leaving some of his clothes behind. Can you imagine how angry she was? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned comes to mind. I always thought that was Shakespeare, but I looked it up. And it's William Congreve. I've never heard of him. 16th century. But it's saying a woman rejected can be very angry and dangerous. Bit sexist, perhaps. Perhaps anybody rejected could be seeking revenge. But Potiphar's wife now frames him. Total abuse of her positional power. She tells the servants he has tried to rape her, plays on prejudice as Joseph is a foreigner in a foreign land, says she has proof because she's holding his cloak, and tells her husband she wants revenge. And Potiphar feels betrayed. Joseph ends up in prison. Joseph did the right thing. But he ended up in prison. Unjust, unfair. Not going to say any more about that. Be here next week. It's Claire's sermon next week. Don't miss it. Let's look at Joseph, the prisoner. Joseph did not compromise his beliefs. His integrity was important to him. It mattered. Why is it important for us to live like Joseph? First and foremost, if we love God as we are instructed to do, then we bring honour to God. By behaving as As he did, Joseph honoured his God. Life is a collection of choices. Not sure where I read that, but I quite like it. And if we just think again, 
Integrity is about being honest, trustworthy, doing good, not doing harm. They're different things. Being fair, loving justice. It's a really good quality of our characters. So behaving without integrity, integrity means being dishonest, being deceitful, doing bad things, causing harm to others, and being unfair. God gives us free choice. He doesn't dictate how we should act in situations. That's why the fall happened in the Garden of Eden in the first place. But every choice we have has a consequence. When we make unwise choices, we can be led into action which causes us to sin. Stealing, sexual mistakes, cheating and corruption. Sin places a barrier between us and God because God is holy. Sin is unholy. This means we can lose what Joseph prized so much, God's presence. Because we separate ourselves from him, because we turn our backs on his ways and his love. We don't see the big picture. We only see the here and the now. But God has plans and purposes that we don't yet know about. Often, a short-term action can have long-term consequences. What can seem important to us here on earth in terms of eternity, might just not be so great. Sometimes that consequence not only affects us, but it affects other people. Like a pebble dropped into a pond, it ripples out. It affects other people further away from us. Scripture gives us an awful lot of guidance and warns us about consequences. Just a couple, Proverbs 10 Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. Whoever takes the crooked path will be found out. The integrity of the upright in Proverbs 11 guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. In Ephesians, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Joseph chose to honour God's ways over the ways of people. Secondly, integrity matters because we are a public witness for Jesus and the church. Joseph made sure that how he acted in private was how he acted in public. How often do we have one private life behind closed doors and one public life when we are with others, when we come to church, when we go to work? We need to remember that God is all-seeing and all-knowing. People might not see when we do things in secret, but God does. We cannot hide from God. If you want to look more at that, have a read of Psalm 139.
The word integrity has a Latin root, integer. If you're a maths bod, you'll be very familiar with this term. It refers to being whole, being one, the wholeness of a person. This is what we are meant to be in Christ, whole, not broken, not fractured. If we are to witness for Christ on earth and for his church, if we do not have integrity, then we bring the reputation of Christ and the church into question. Our actions as Christians matter because we witness to the rest of the world. And we owe it to each other to live with integrity, to encourage one another to live well. We need to live in a way that points others to Christ. So are we living with integrity? As we resist all the temptations that our modern world can throw at us, can we live like Joseph did? Joseph lost many things because he chose not to sin. Earthly positions, friends, comfortable place to live, his personal freedom, he lost them all. But at the end of this part of Joseph's story, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. So we end up where we started. He'd been in the pit, he'd been out of the pit. He's back in the pit. That's how life goes, isn't it? We're up, we're down. We're up, we're down. 